Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, I am Dan Martin, uh, Biffa losing special effects artist and podcast man. Uh, and I am joined, as I always am, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a uh, Channel 4 television programme director, that's official. Um, <laughs> that sounds like you direct the station. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? Let's promote me. Yeah, good. Um, and uh, I am very excited today because we're doing something uh, very, very different to usual. Now, normally we uh, talk about Arrow, Arrow films and, and make recommendations and all of that. This week... Because it's Christmas, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Uh, don't you dare say that, Dan, you hate Christmas. But I still, like, can hope other people have a nice Christmas. That's true. All right, yeah, that's fine. Happy holidays, happy non-denominational holidays. But you hate those too. No, I like holidays. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think it, how few I take. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so what we're going to do as a special Christmas treat is we're going to give you our best films of 2017. Minor in order, Dan's are... In, well, I mean, they will be in an order. I'm not going to somehow say all the names at once. I mean, you can try. But it's, it's an arbitrary order. Yeah. Okay, so mine's ranked by how good I think they are. Best to worst or worst to best? Uh, it is worst to best, of course. I mean, it's best to very best, I guess. Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And it has been an incredible year. Like, I can't remember a year like 2017. It's been astonishing. But that's also the head trauma. True. So, <laughs> let's go straight into it. Dan, who goes first? Uh, I don't mind. Do you want to toss a coin? Let's toss a coin. We've never done that. Uh, let's toss a I've coin. I've got a coin. I mean, this, this makes great podcast. I've got 20 euro cents. Okay, yeah. Do you want... From Cannes, probably. Do you want this dude? No, I think this is from... I was in um, I was in Liège in Belgium cutting up a body a couple of weeks ago. Don't say any more than that. So, <laughs> flip it. Um, do you want Spectacle Man or um, Europe Map. Heads, which is Spectacle Man. It's Europe Map. So what's that mean? I guess it means I go first. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go with the one I've watched most recently. Go on. That's what it. I'll do. So I uh, stumbled across this, and it's a quite a late edition, which normally I like to give myself a bit of time between watching something and deciding how much I like it. Because often I'm like, that was amazing! Immediately after a film. And then it kind of settles in. But this went on the list pretty much straight away. And I mean, I never do that. No, no, no. You're very... Uh, I don't know what the opposite of that is. <laughs> Sensible. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but yeah, no. So I, this went on the list straight away, but with a sort of mental caveat that I'd take it off if the, the joy faded. I saw it about a week ago. Mm -hmm. But actually, I really, really liked it. I, and like, it stuck with me. And I, it's a... It's, yeah, it's, it's clung, on and clung on in the list. Uh, it's a Netflix movie, Netflix right. finance movie, one of two Netflix movies on my list, actually. Oh, blimey. Uh, it's called Shimmer Lake. Nice. Um, which I knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, uh, it's a heist movie, mm -hmm. which I'm, I like. Mm -hmm. It's a heist movie sort of gone wrong, which I very like. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also told in reverse. Oh, interesting. Um, not in a... Uh, it, it takes place over about five days. And at the, it plays the days morning to afternoon or morning to night. Uh, but then at the end of it, it goes to the day before. And so uh, it goes backwards. And while I was watching it, I did feel, hmm, I wonder if this was, a, was meant to be shot like this or whether this was something they decided in the edit to kind of save it. Because I always remember Memento, which is, you know, the, one of the two other movies that immediately spring to mind when you think of reverse narrative films. Mm -hmm. You always hear about Memento having not intended to be... No, is it not... It's not Memento, is it? It's, no. Um, it's uh, 
I'm getting muddled up with the usual suspect story where usual suspects was exactly, linear exactly. and then it started getting all shifted about by yeah, the yeah, editor. Yeah. But anyway, the point is I, I wondered, was it shot intending to be like this? Sure. Or was it done later? And you get to the end and you're like, well, hundred percent this was the plan all along. Great. It absolutely relies on this to work and it's fantastic. The ending's great. It's got a really it doesn't assume its audience are stupid. Like it it's quite subtle mm. with some of the reveals mm. and, and very subtle with some of the setups. And it's really nice. But another thing that's interesting about it is that it's almost entirely um, cast with comedic actors. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're, they're not like comic comics, but it's like people like Rob Corddry mm-hmm. and now his name has escaped me, but it's the guy who plays the foil in the American office. The Gareth character, but in, yeah, but in the American Dwight. one. Dwight. Dwight, yeah, plays Dwight in the American <laughs> office. He's kind of, he, well, he's definitely the first build. I, I wouldn't say he's really the lead. But it's got loads and loads of uh, yeah comic actors in it, but they're all playing it straight. And there are a couple of gags in there, as there are in most dramas, but it's not a comedy. But yeah, I really, really liked it. Really, um, I didn't see the ending coming, which is good. And Jen, my wife, who always sees the ending coming, I try really hard not to. She just immediately gets everything in the first 10 minutes um but she didn't either mm. and that's yeah that's definitely an accolade i think great yeah that, that i haven't seen that so that's not on my list um and we should uh, probably make it clear that dan and i have not discussed this ahead of time so we've got no idea what's on our list so there's a good chance that there's going to be some crossover but you know we'll discuss it naturally when that happens yeah and so at 10 for me because i'm ranking them now, there are a couple of contenders for the, the number 10 spot on my list. Like I say, this is the best year ever, so I've really, really struggled to get a, a 10 uh, a list down from about 60. So uh, I, The Untamed was in with a shout at being at number 10. Nice. Um, arrow release? Sorry. Arrow release. Yeah. Um, but I've gone for a different arrow release, um, Hounds of Love, oh. um, which is astonishing. And I kind of um, put it off a little bit um, because I'd heard it was um, quite brutal and nasty um, and, you know, it involves some stuff that I generally... Or I thought it involved some stuff that I generally try to avoid. Um, But, I mean, it is brutal, it is nasty. However, it's not as nasty as you might expect going by the description. So the film's about... Um, a couple um, who kidnap teenage girls, torture them, kill them, kidnap another teenage girl, you know, and the cycle repeats. Um, and it actually opens with a condensed version of, of what they do. Um, you know, they take someone and, you know, it, it's, it's pretty nasty. And it, it's nasty throughout. However, it kind of reminded me, actually, of, of films like Snowtown and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It's sort of that level of nasty. However, unlike those films, um, it's not from the male perspective. Um, It actually says quite interesting things about women and um, relationships between women, um, specifically mother and daughter relationships. And so that's something I haven't really seen in this kind of film before. And it all kind of builds to one of the best endings I've seen this year. Like, just an amazing ending. So, so well written, um, really interestingly shot, but the performances are, are just next level. And um, the writer-director, um, it's his first film, so if you come out of the gate with a film like this, then he's definitely going to be one to watch. Um, it fell a little bit under the radar, possibly because 
there were people like me that sort of looked at it and thought, oh, I, can't well, fa- I can't face this. I was one of those as well, and I haven't seen it yet yeah. for exactly that reason. So on your recommendation, I will definitely revisit it's it. It's amazing. It's hard, but, I, I mean, you'll see what I mean. Yeah, you'll see what I mean. So I don't want to spoil it, obviously, but Hounds of Love, my number 10 of 2017. Dan, what's next? I'm going to do probably quite an obvious one. It may be on your list. Uh, I think it's, I've seen it on quite a few people's best lists, but I'm not going to not include it. Uh, and it's Get Out. Oh yeah, um, it's an absolutely great not on my horror list. feature. Not on your list. No. Oh, well, I, I thought it would be a crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really nice. Uh, saw it at the cinema. Uh, the hype machine had sort of started by the time, like it had done some festival plays by the time I saw it. Uh, so it was already in getting talked up. Normally, that's enough to make me be disappointed by a film. It didn't happen with this. I've seen it twice now. It is, in hindsight, not quite as perfect or as clever as I had thought coming out of the cinema in that sort of like the cloud of elation that you get when you first see a clever movie but it is a great film and I really enjoyed it yeah um, yeah that's it really yeah. I think it's big enough I don't need to talk about it too much more yeah but it's a fantastic movie yeah and just quickly you know it didn't make my list um, I saw it quite early on uh, in the year and I do think it's a really solid film um, and I really want to see what Jordan Peele does next but it just didn't have that in such a competitive year, you know, Get Out last year might have been in my top ten, but just this year I had so many sort of unique and transporting experiences in yeah. the cinema this year, and, and Get Out didn't quite do that for me. I thought it was great, really enjoyed it, but, you know, in, in more of a, oh, that's a film I enjoyed, rather than that's a film I feel has changed my life slightly. So uh, on that, I will uh, move on to my number nine. Again, competition for the number nine spot. There's not competition for all of these, but this one was between The Transfiguration and Moonlight. Um, and actually, it would work quite well as a double bill because um, they're both about um, young black kids who live in a kind of ghetto area who basically feel like they're something that they're not and, and want to transcend their environment. Um, and, and weirdly, both of them have exactly the same shot quite early on in both films. Um, both little boys are being chased by bullies and um, there's basically a perspective shot where the camera shakes from right to left very quickly. Okay. Um, exactly the same shot. It's really weird. Um, I love when that kind of zeitgeisty weird that stuff happens. But anyway, I'm going to go for the transfiguration out of the two of them just because it's... Uh, it's just a beautiful film. The, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast in the past. The closest comparison I can make is Martin. And actually, the, the little boy at the heart of the film owns a load of vampire movies on, on VHS that he's kind of written the titles on the, on the side. So he's got stuff like... Um, he's got Near Dark. And, but he doesn't, he doesn't actually have um, Martin, um, which is a shame because he is living in that film, basically. So <laughs> he's had a very tough life. And he, um, to cope with it, thinks, has decided that he's a vampire and he's acting accordingly. And he meets uh, a young girl who he forms a connection with. And, um, you know, part of the narrative is, is she going to help him sort of find normal life again? Or, you know, is he going to be stuck in this, this fantasy world? Um, which obviously he talks to her about. But, you know... It's super violent in places, um, incredibly dark, like Hounds of Love, 
it has an incredible ending that I didn't see coming and sort of keeps you on the edge of your seat even at the end. Again, I won't say more than that. That is my number nine. It's The Transfiguration. Nice. Another one I've not seen. So, good. <laughs> uh, my number... I'm not even keeping track now. I'm just going to go through them. Uh, it's a little bit of a cheeky one because I worked on it. <laughs> good. I'm glad you did this. I was wondering if you were going to or not and I'm really glad you did. Well, it I doesn't was, matter. It doesn't yeah, matter if I was, you worked on it. I was going to not include it because of my relationship to the film. But you know what? Fuck, fuck that. It's our podcast. I'll do what I want. Exactly. Tell you what... <laughs> If we do this again next year and I've directed a film, it's going to be number one. <laughs> but carry on. That's going to be really awkward, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I'm like, oh, I've not seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but Dan, you worked on it. Anyway, carry you on. Were, I saw you were the casting crew. <laughs> so come you, on, tell us about Free Fire. Costumes. Tell us about Free Fire. Uh, it's not Free Fire. Oh, is Free Fire on the list? Uh, no, Free Fire's not on the list. <gasps> I, really liked, I really like Free Fire. I really like Free Fire. Yeah. No, it's Revenge. Oh, yes, of course. It's revenge. The reason I might not be allowed it, although bollocks to that, is uh, my wife produced it, Jennifer Handorf, and, uh, and I designed the makeup effects for it, uh, which are infrequent, but I think effective. I'm pleased with, our, with my work on it. But actually, it's the cinematography and the performances that really shine out. Alice uh, Lowe, um, writer, director, who's pregnant throughout filming, genuinely pregnant throughout filming, like heavily pregnant, Ha is is sort of uh, well established in the comedy world, and she was able to pull in crew a uh, cast for her, for her first directing gig uh, from the comedy world, um, and they are fantastic. Um, anyone who is even remotely familiar with British comedy will see a a parade of faces they're familiar with, all giving fantastic performances. Yeah, that's that's it. It's a, a it, it also reminds me very much of a a favourite film of mine that can't be in the list because it was made in the 80s called Baby Blood, a French horror, which I may have mentioned before on the podcast, which Alice says she hasn't seen. So, <laughs> but yeah, so there you go, a twofer, uh, Prevenge and Baby Blood. They make a great double bill. But one of them wasn't out this year. One of them was definitely not out this year. And we're not doing recommendations. But yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Did I you mean, not I, mention two? You uh, said yeah, a contender, I'm, I'm, you did a little... I, I'm bending the rules several yeah, times on fine. this list, so it's fine. Um, Prevenge isn't on my list, mainly because I was cut out of it, so... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, yeah, Sam, Sam had a cameo in Prevenge, uh, which is on the cutting room floor. Not, just not like e one of the characters' testicles. <laughs> not even on the Blu-ray. Um, and it was fucking great. Anyway, right, number eight on my list. It's another potential double bill, but I will pick a favourite. It's between Baby Driver and Atomic Blonde. Now, um, mm. both of these movies are, um, you know, action-heavy. They both feature excellent car chases, one more than the other, and they've both got really good soundtracks. And I actually almost paired Atomic Blonde with The, the Villainess, um, because The Villainess uh, also has... Um, lots of long take fighting scenes and like a, a badass woman in the lead but forget all that because I'm doing Baby Driver at number 8 now I loved this film so much the first time I saw it and I wondered if it was one of those situations where you know I came out on the adrenaline of it because it's a, a real sort of adrenaline uh, creating movie but then I've watched it again since on Blu-ray and I loved it even more the second time there's just it's so rich there's so many like mini little easter eggs a lot of them I spotted first time like the graffiti stuff and all that you know it's pretty obvious but um 
yeah, there's a lot more layers to it, and um, it's just a brilliant script. In terms of character motivations, it's really interesting. And it reminded me of, of a lot of the 70s movies that I love. Obvious stuff that, you know, um, Edgar's referenced, but also stuff that he hasn't referenced, like Straight Time. I really love Baby Driver, so that's my number eight. Dan, what's next from you? Mine is one that we saw together, and I do... I almost be willing to put money on being on your list. It's Cold Hell. That is not on my list. How is that not on your list? This is great. That, that's not on my list because I count that as... So I'm only going by um, UK release dates. Okay. Um, and I count that as 2018 because it's not going to be out here until next year. It's on Shudder January, is it? Is that uh, right? Yeah, I think it's February maybe. But anyway, it's on Shudder in, in 2018 in the UK. So... Um, it will be on my list next year, but not this year. So. <laughs> well, okay. Well, rules, bollocks. We didn't, like I said, we didn't talk this through. <laughs> Dan hasn't even ordered his, so it's fine. He can do what he wants. I, just before we started, I, from the doorway to my kitchen where we record our podcast, sorry to break the illusion, I said to Sam, How do you change the order of things in Letterboxd? Which is how I put my list together. And Sam said, Oh, you just do edit. No, I can't. I can't figure it out. Which is, <laughs> which is peculiar because normally I'm all, all right at these things. Yeah, he is. Anyway. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, it's Cold Hell. Cold Hell, it, we saw it Fright Fest. The Duke Mitchell guys put it on in the small screen. It was full. Like Sam said, it's coming out in the UK uh, next year on VOD. I think it's criminal that it's going straight to VOD. It's an amazing movie. It's about a Turkish woman uh, in Germany who witnesses a murder in finest giallo style. But uh, she is more kick-ass than any giallo heroine and uh, gets involved in a game of cat and mouse with the, uh, with the male murderer, where it's not ever really clear which one's the cat and which one's the mouse. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. It's really tight and exciting and good. <laughs> yeah, I love Cold Hell. So great. Yeah, so great. great. So great. Um, worth subscribing to Shudder for alone. They just need to sort out <coughs> the PS4 platform so I can get it on the same machine I use for everything else. <laughs> Very true. Get on it, Shudder. Yeah, uh, shudder. Yeah, shudder. You've been told. Yeah. <laughs> Schooled, even. Schooled. Right, so, number seven. And now this is a triple bill. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. We're not doing recommendations. We are just listing films. We're, this is an octuple bill. <laughs> we're not. We're not. These are all very carefully thought through and very carefully ordered. Cheating. Um, and they're all from 2017. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why is it from 2017? Yes, so, at number seven, we have either Song to Song, A Ghost Story, or Personal Shopper. Now, these are all linked because they're all essentially uh, ghost stories, or they're certainly about um, a feeling of loss uh, and uh, nostalgia and thinking about the past um, and how it affects the future. And they're all beautiful, beautiful films. Um, I would recommend all three of them, and I would recommend you sit down and watch them in that order. However, I'm going to go for Song to Song as my pick. And I know a lot of people went for Personal Shopper or Ghost Story on their lists, but I, I'm, you know, I used to love Malik. I had quite a sort of profound experience uh, at Tree of Life in 2011. But since then, uh, films like To the Wonder which I hated so much while I was watching it uh, at the screening, I thought to myself, I might not watch films anymore because if this is the risk, 
It's not worth it. <laughs> and that's me saying that. So, yeah, never watch To The Wonder, but song to song feels more like classic Malik. It's, it's Ryan Gosling, it's Michael Fassbender, it's Rooney Mara, and Rooney Mara's also in A Ghost Story, but um, they're all wonderful. Um, it's the classic Malik thing of it's a, essentially a cinema poem, um, no script, they all kind of made it up as so they went along. Um, but it is beautiful, and the last line, um, which obviously I won't spoil, but when the last line was spoken... I said to myself, please let that be the last line. It's such a perfect last line. And it was. And I got goosebumps. It's an amazing film. Song to song. Unlike My that, number seven. Unlike his other film where every line uttered, you said to yourself, please let that be the last <laughs> line. <laughs> to the wonder. No. To the wonder. No thanks. Um, yes, Dan. Right. Uh, Spur. 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 Uh, yeah, Polish nomination for the Best Foreign Language Academy Awards. It's a nice word to say. Uh, it's an English word. Well, I mean, it's it's also an English word. Mm. Uh, it means the tracks left behind by animals that are being tracked. Mm-hmm. Like it's the the footprints, the scats, the you know droppings. I mean, we all knew that. Yeah, we all know that. We yeah. all know that. Uh, it's based on a novel uh, with, I'd say, an even better name. Uh, the novel is called Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Oh, baby. Uh, direct, uh, written by Olga Tarkazak. Tarkaz- I'm not going to... I'm going to be butchering a lot of Polish names while talking about this. It's a fantastic movie. It's beautiful. It's a little slow. It's absolutely lovely. It's directed by Agnes... I'm just going to show Sam, and he'll, he may just know her name from her work. No, I, I don't. Uh, Agnieszka, Agnieszka, Agnieszka Holland. Uh, she directed... I did, I just wanted to hear him say it. <laughs> she directed Europa Europa, yeah, yeah. among other things. But it's uh, about an older woman who's retired, works part-time as a school teacher, lives in a little house on the edge of a, a hunting village in Poland, in the Polish countryside. Uh, and she's kind of constantly at odds with the community because she's essentially an animal rights activist. Uh, and they, you know, they they live and breathe hunting, killing animals. There's a lot of footage of animals being lovely and running about. There is later some footage of hunting, which I think, like Wake and Fright, was shot documentary style and then cut in. I found that quite upsetting. But given the tone of the film, I did research. I tried to find out just to make absolutely certain that it wasn't shot for the movie, that it was, you know that it existed as footage, that nothing was shot for the film. I couldn't find any information on that. I would be deeply surprised to find out that that was shot for the movie, uh, given the tone it takes and the stance it takes. Um, But one of the things that's interesting about it, and I assumed this was deliberate, but again, reading interviews, it turns out it was sort of accidental, is that it's kind of become a quite political movie in Poland because it's a... sort of accidentally become a lambasting of certain injustices, particularly in gender politics, both on the world stage and in particular in Poland. And the, uh, the director and the star have both talked about this being a sort of almost like a happy coincidence. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really, really wonderful. Lots of gorgeous magic hour photography on these sort of like foggy Polish mountain paths, watching the sun rise over distant mountains through thick snow. Uh, lots of nice animal photography and uh, and a a pretty decent, if not too complex, uh, thriller mm. plot going on as well. It's her first time doing a sort of murder mystery. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's great. Really worth watching. So my number six on my list is the first one that has no competitors. 
um, number six is untouchable. It, it, it stands alone. And that film is Super Dark Times. Ah, um, is, nice. is, is that on your list? No, it's not on my list. But you enjoyed it? Yeah, it's, it is super dark. <laughs> yes. Now, it's essentially, um, I guess you could describe it as Stand By Me meets... Donnie Darko to a certain extent. It's got yeah. a bit of a Donnie Darko vibe. Vibe, yeah. Yeah. And and a couple of scenes which are similar-ish. And I feel like it's another film like Donnie Darko where not too many people are watching it at the moment, but I feel like it's going to gain a reputation in time. As, especially as, you know, the actors in it are so fucking amazing that... They're all going to go on to, especially the lead, but they're all going to go on to other things and people are going to look back and go, oh, holy shit, that was, um, you know, that was that film. So, yeah, Super Dark Times. Um, it's, I don't want to get into too many spoilers no. because the pleasure of it is in the journey. But let's just say it's uh, a 90s teenage drama slash horror film in which a group of friends share a secret and that secret starts to destroy them it is fucking amazing i loved it every minute of it like at the start i was oh you know let's give this a watch i've heard it it had some festival buzz and you know open okay this is fine but every minute that passes you get more and more gripped um and it's surprising you don't know where it's going it's got a great midpoint one of the best midpoints of the year um, and yeah super dark times i loved it dan what is next on your list next on my list is a film that i would lay money to not being on your list <laughs> okay because we have talked about it oh I great i don't think you liked it uh it's brawl on cell block 99 Ugh. yeah sam wasn't keen um i think the the risk the the reason people might be disappointed with brawl on cell block 99 is it's definitely being touted by people who have seen it, or by a lot of people who've seen it, at least, as this, like, ingenious, new, you've never seen anything like it, blah, 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 blah. I just blah. rolled my eyes at Dan, yeah, by the way. Yeah, like, he, he rolled his eyes so much, he almost did a backflip. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's not that at all. It's much more like that jumper you put on when you're at home and don't need to go out, and it's comfy and nice and warm, not that it's nice and warm as a movie, but it's, <laughs> but that it's very well trodden ground. It's the kind of the opposite of an innovative and new thing. Yeah, it, it would feel more at home as part of a kind of uh, grindhouse, like you know, you know when Tarantino did Death Proof, and like as part of that kind of thing where it was like acknowledging a debt to a bygone genre. Well, actually, that was my criticism of it: is that it felt like one of those not grind not grind, grindhouse itself, but. One of those post-grindhouse movies like Machete or Hobo with a Shotgun, where it just felt. Oh, I see. I think it, it's so much better than Machete or Hobo with a Shotgun. It's got a better. And actor. I'd say it's better than fifty percent of the actual movie Grindhouse. It's as got well. a better actor at the centre of it okay, than so those post-grindhouse what movies. Sam is Vince Vaughn very, is yeah, amazing. Very, I was going to say very politely not mentioning because <laughs> it's yeah, anyway. Yeah, Vince Vaughn. I don't. I'm not a big fan of Vince Vaughn. Uh, I don't particularly care for him in comedies. He comes across quite nasty in comedies, and even if that's not the role he's playing, there's always that kind of like mean-spirited under vibe, and I think it cuts the it, it hamstrings his comedy performances for me quite often but in this it's absolutely superb I mean I think this is a career best performance for him 
It's, uh, it's directed by uh, S. Craig Zala, who did Bone Tomahawk. It's not Bone Tomahawk. I, lo- I love Bone Tomahawk. And I know that that wasn't for everyone either. Uh, I'd say it's, it's a little nippier than Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk's got a lot more plodding about the Western countryside, talking about the human condition. Whereas this is a little bit more like get to the meat and, you know, meat and veg of the story. Uh, although it is a sort of four-act film. But it's... If it wasn't so grim, it would be camp. Mm. I think it is playing on a lot of tropes, Mm -hmm. but it's doing it in a really exciting and fun way. It manages to harness a lot of the things I love about that, like a bygone era of filmmaking, without, for me, without overdoing it, without falling into pastiche, without falling into exactly the traps of things like Machete did fall into, where I'm like, you know what, I haven't got fucking time for this. If I want to watch one of these movies, I'll go and watch one of these movies. There are hundreds of them out there, and this is bringing nothing new. Whereas um, I felt that the performances... Maybe it was just the performances that really elevated Brawl and Subway 99. It's got some great moments in it, for those of you who've seen Bone Tomahawk... There's that moment. Um, it doesn't have anything as big as the cut and run moment in Bone Tomahawk. And let's like, Bo- Bone Tomahawk is essentially cut and run. Like, it's Ruggiero Diodato's cut and run. Even down to the fucking like swazzles the natives have in their throats so they can whistle to each other, they sound like the musical stings in the opening credits music to cut and run. Like, everyone talked about it being a cannibal movie, but no one mentioned cut and run. So it's not like he doesn't have form borrowing from 70s and 80s cinema. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I know you didn't like it. I really loved it. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm very happy shall, that you liked shall it. Shall I describe what it's about? <laughs> <laughs> I just realised I've done none of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for this one, maybe. Like, yeah. we can skip over stuff like Baby Driver yeah, and yeah, Get yeah, Out, yeah. but maybe for this one. It's, it's, I think one of the things, again, another one of the things I liked about it is that it feels quite of, the, of its moment. The, you know, the way genre cinema in particular is very reflective of the time that it's made. Uh, and we've gone from all the hope and superhero push of the Obama administration in America through to everything's fucking bullshit, this is a disaster, I hate everything of the Trump era. Maybe this and is why I like big, it so much And one of the year. big tropes uh, in it, one of the, like, the underlying pit, like, staples, is it's a man pushed to his break, to breaking point, mm-hmm. and how does he react? Mm. Like, it's the white-collar man... Am I using that right? Is it white-collar? I can never remember the different colour colours. It's blue-collar. Is it blue? Is he blue-collar? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a blue-collar, it's a blue-collar man. Uh, blue-collar is like a uniform, white-collar is like the office, like, shirt. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, well, and he is literally a mechanic, so he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess he's blue-collar. It's the, the, yeah, the overalls, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's a blue-collar man pushed to breaking point, uh, and then pushed again to breaking point, and then the next breaking point, and then the next breaking point, and let's see how fucking mental he'll go. It's, yeah, it's absolutely, it's really nice. Vince Vaughn is basically, throughout the first half of the film, he has everything he cares about taken from him. Yes, the plot, we've got to the yeah, plot. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> and then throughout the, the, the second half of the film, he makes the people responsible for it fucking suffer, and it's fantastic. It's basically a rape revenge movie, now that we don't put rape in films as much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, I've seen a lot of these kind of movies. Yeah. For me personally, and I'm absolutely not judging you, and I love it when people love movies. Like, it, I, yeah, that is never a problem for me when people love movies. But for me personally, I've seen a lot of that kind of exploitation stuff, 
and for me, it had the worst end shot of the year. <laughs> yeah, I oh fuck, especially as a special effects artist. It's the end shot, that, man. Yeah, the very last shot is a slightly uncomfortable digital physical effects comp, and it it does just roll my eyes again. Does, yeah, <laughs> another backflip. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, it's 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 fuck. worth a watch. It's so you fine. can make up your so own many, mind. So many, so often, yeah. I watch films, especially smaller films, and I know that this, you know, it's nice, but it's this. It's second. It's only second feature, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah second yeah. feature. It obviously had more money. You know, you got Vince Vaughn. Still, like some of the cinematography is a little cheap. Like it still feels like he's it's cheap. It's, it's, cheap. it's punching above its weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and most of the money probably went on the cast. And in some places, the effects are great. Unfortunately, it ends on a not great special effect, and that does undermine it. Weirdly, as an effects artist, I'm much more willing to overlook that. Right. Than me. Well, than yeah, than <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. I guess I don't know. You'd think I'd be super critical of it, yeah, but I, actually, I yeah, yeah, don't, don't care. care. Yeah, it's as long fine. as the rest is good. It's, it, like that's all worker day stuff. I, I like the performances. <laughs> now I'm going to go. Uh, it's it's another uh, my number five. It's another one that has no competitors. It stands alone. It is fucking incredible. And I'm going to put money in a similar way that it's not on your list. Oh hello. Because I just don't think. Not that I don't think it's up your street, but I just don't think it's the sort of thing that you would have watched this year. Oh, okay. Um, the work. No, I've not seen it. It's on my list. Like, as in, it's on my list to watch, not my list today. Yeah. I, I definitely intend to watch it, but it's, no, I've not got around to it. But yeah, it's a, a documentary, um, and it's basically about a group therapy session um, over the course of, I think it's four days. It's been a while since I watched it, but I think it's four days. It's basically about uh, a group of inmates who are going through group therapy and there's people from the outside world who come in to take part of that group therapy um, for their own personal reasons. And it is so intense from basically the opening minute. And I can see why it didn't necessarily become uh, (laughs) like a a blockbuster-style hit. But I feel like, you know, as many people who watched... You know, as many people who are going to watch Avengers Infinity War should watch this documentary because... Specifically um, those people? Specifically those exact people. All the, you know, many, many millions of you should watch this uh, very small documentary um, about prison therapy because it says so much about toxic masculinity. Um, It reveals so much about why... So many people are fucked up, not just people in prison, but the people who, who who came in from the outside world. And it's this weird, like, you know, this weird psychological thing where all of these people were meant to be there. Um, you know, fictional films would kill for characters like this. Um, and the interactions that the people from the outside world have with the people, with the inmates of Folsom Prison. And they have so many lessons to teach each other and so many lessons that actually would resonate with people if they actually put themselves through this slightly difficult documentary. It is a masterpiece. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, not just this year. Wow. Um, and holy shit, please watch the work. Um, it's on Dog Woof, I think. Oh, yeah. They do a lot of docs. They're good. In this country, um, I'm sure it's relatively cheap on Amazon. And uh, you will be uh, a better person for having watched it. So, uh, the work. Nice. That is my recommendation, or on my list. 
Dan, what's, what's next? Uh, another one I'm willing to put money on you having on your list, but, I mean, fuck, you've surprised me so far. I'm beginning to hope we get through all ten without having any double-ups. It's not going to happen. I know, I, I've got a feeling what's next. Go on. Well, I think you have a feeling what's next because we had to pause the podcast briefly when I went and quieted my dog and <laughs> I left my phone with my list. No, I, did, I didn't look at seen? it. No, no, no. Oh, okay. It's the disaster artist. Not on my list. Fuck, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I owe the the seeing of this to Sam. I mean, obviously, I would have seen it ine- inevitably, but Sam had already seen it, seen it before me, uh, came home, said, you are going to love this film. I mean, you know, he knew my enjoyment of The Room uh, and of James Franco, which I think we've talked about on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, he, he saw a preview screening of it in his uh, journalism role, and, uh, and he came home and he said, this is amazing, uh, and then a week or two later, another screening came up and he requested tickets to that screening as well so that he could take me with him. Uh, we went along and I absolutely loved it. Um, it's fantastic. Um, I also like that today on Twitter, uh, was it the 18th today, 19th? Something like that? One of those two. Don't worry about it. When we're recording it. It's the 20th. Oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> Fuck me, Christmas in five days. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, anyway... The and, and also this podcast. This podcast in five days. So five days ago, <laughs> yeah. if you're listening to this when it goes up, as you obviously should be... Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Sack off the family, sack off the turkey, put in your headphones. <laughs> uh, yeah, Wiseau uh, announced, or at least it was announced, and I saw it from Wiseau's Twitter feed, that The Room is getting a, a quite a wide theatrical release yeah. because of the success of The Disaster Artist. Uh, and his tweet was lovely. Uh, 14 and a half years it can happen uh, oh that's double, so nice I'm going to double check the exact wording of that uh, I have it here saved uh, no sorry 14 and a half years never give up close enough close that's, enough. that's which still is, lovely which is lovely yeah yeah um, yeah I, it's, it's a great film it's uh, a, it's amazing it's a recreative documentary I guess it's a like a true story making of uh, I, I, I'm not doing it but you, only because you can't see it air quotes true story uh, it's based on uh, the sort of recollections of one of the cast of the movie and so he is quite noticeably framed as something of a, a hero <laughs> in the film which you know is obviously a subjective uh, viewpoint but it's a, it's a fantastic movie it's amazing performances all the way through uh, Franco is just absolutely fucking incredible in it. Oscar worthy. O- Oscar worthy, I'd say that too. And Tom Flouts, uh, who I follow on various social medias and is a, an, yes, a, a, yeah, yeah. a fellow effects artist. Yeah. He wasn't alone in it. I don't know if he was the designer. IMDb is unclear and he has been uh, uh, meek, I guess, about it. He's not been shouting about it too hard. Humble. Humble, that's the one I was looking for. Humble. But he either was a, an applicator or the designer of the of the makeup effects in it the prosthetic effects in it and they are absolutely mind blowing you when watching it even if you're as familiar with franco as i am you won't necessarily be able to tell where franco begins and the rubber wiseau starts it's amazing franco ends and the rubber wiseau starts they're beautiful prosthetics uh, and he absolutely inhabits them like it's it's a, an amazing performance yeah absolutely yeah so I, you don't have to have seen The Room to enjoy it. I think it's a great film even... I think it's a great film regardless. But seeing as The Room may well be coming to a cinema near you soon, mm. maybe go and see The Room as well. And, uh, and, and then you can treat your trip to see The Disaster Artist at the cinema as a giant special feature on the big screen. Totally. And I actually think that a lot of people have said, oh yeah, watch The Room, then watch The Disaster Artist as a double bill. 
actually, they might do it the other way around. I, well, I, I actually think that there's another film from this year that almost made my list, but not quite, just like the disaster artist almost did. Um, Brigsby Bear. Um, oh, it's on, yeah. Is that on your list? I've or? not seen it, no. Okay. I, it's, it's on the other list, the one to watch. Yeah. I've heard very good things. But yeah, it's, uh, I saw it in Cannes. I got into a, a minor argument with the person sitting next to me. Um, because they were talking all the way through it up until a certain point, and I just said to them, you know, look, man, I'm trying to enjoy Brixby Bear. You're, you're spoiling this experience for me. And because the film is so nice and so about the love of film and of filmmaking, um, this dude actually did shut up when I asked him to. Wow, um, that's uncommon. <laughs> it is uncommon. And so, yeah, it's a very kind of similar vibe. Um, but anyway... Forget that, because I'm recommending films that aren't even movie. on my list. <laughs> a different movie. And we've got to get well, through no, this. Like, hold those in, because I feel like we should do an honourable mentions at the end. I've got a, a, a backlist of honourable mentions we can chat mm, about. Okay. If, we, if we run short, which we're very much not going to do. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're already overrunning. But um, It's Christmas. My, my honourable mentions are built within my list, so you, okay. you do yours. And, and, uh, yeah, and in fact, we're about to go back into the, the double bill zone. You are going um, to have recommended 40 films by the end of this podcast. It's been such a good year. It's, it's been such, such a, a good year. Uh, yeah, I mean, you were well within your rights to do this, Dan, but you just didn't plan ahead. Well, right. We didn't discuss it. <laughs> I didn't know you were you were deviating so heavily from the rules we discussed. Right. We're having a minor domestic <laughs> go, 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 go. on air. Number one. Um, is it? Number four. four. So we're almost done. And this is between the killing of a sacred deer and mother. Um, and I'm pretty sure neither of those are on your neither list. Neither of them are on my list. Yep. One of them is almost on my list. I'm willing to discuss either of them. Go. Fantastic. <laughs> so um, both of them, for me, astonishing headfuck movies. I saw both of them actually in the same week, um, which was pretty fucking intense, um, especially as I saw Killing of a Sacred Deer at a screening at 9am, I think. <laughs> um, so that was, that was intense. Were you hungover? Uh, I wasn't actually. I feel like it's a movie that would suit a hangover as well. Oh my god. I love them both so much, but, uh, and honestly, I love them both so much. Very hard to choose. Do them as a double bill, but I'm going for Killing of a Sacred Deer as my choice. Um, choice for number number four of my list. When I was watching it, I basically felt like it was a Chris Morris doing a blockbuster. <laughs> um, yeah, I can maybe, see that. Uh, maybe blockbuster is the wrong word, but um, it's very, very Chris Morris. And slightly Father Ted as well to start with. But, um, <laughs> Just because of the Irish accent. No, it's not. It's not. It really isn't. It's, it's the delivery. It's the specific delivery, and it's also the sense of humour. Because what people might not have told you about this film, uh, unless you've seen it, is it's got an incredibly dark sense of humour. Oh, Ted, I hear you're a fart surgeon now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's got such a dark sense of humour. It, it's a weirdly funny film, but also an incredibly See, bleak film. Weirdly, I would say, and it is comic, yeah. dark, darkly comic, I would say it's Salonzian. Oh, it's amazing, it's fucking amazing. No, I, I, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I totally do, but as this is my list, I'm going to deny that because <laughs> um, salons. I, 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 I'm, I've, I, happiness is fine. Okay, happiness is good. I will fight you, sir. <laughs> happiness is fine. Happiness is good. Um, however, Wait, hang on, are we talking about the film? 
<laughs> or the emotion. <laughs> We're definitely talk- not talking about the emotion. That happiness fades. Down. Massively overrated. Push it away. Happiness is short-lived and can only leave you disappointed. Exactly, push it away. Um, but no, happiness, the film, is good. But as for a lot of Solon's other stuff, it's just not for me. It's fine. Again, no. no, I hate storytelling. Really? Um, yeah, I hate it. Not for me. Um, whereas Killing of a Sacred Deer is very much for me. Um, it ticks so many boxes. And one of the ways it's connected to Mother is they're both based on um, fictional mythological texts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I, I, I'm not going to go into the spoiler zone because, you know, this is for people to discover things. Um, if you haven't seen it or heard of it, I, I feel like it's in that hinterland. We haven't, we, we haven't talked about it yet. I'm going to ask you a question, yes. based, especially based on the comedy stuff. And so we're going to be doing a little bit of a skirt around the spoiler. It's super vague, super vague. Okay. There's a scene uh, in the first half of the third act okay. where Farrell's character is chatting to his son in a hospital corridor. Yeah. And he tells him that. Oh, shit. Holy shit. And that, that's, what a scene. that's where it feels Solonzian because that is. If you if you don't have the disposition to find that scene funny, it's mortifying. But it's I mean it, and it's exactly like the storytelling scene where the the maid talks to the little boy about her son. Uh, it's exactly like the scene in um, uh, in Happiness where the uh, psychiatrist talks to his son. Like it's it's about pushing the boundaries of what you find acceptable to find a place where gallows humour takes over and, here's, and it's okay. Here's where we slightly dig deep into this because, um, and, you know, this is all kind of ethereal, like, it, it's very hard to sort of articulate, but for me, storytelling was mean-spirited. Oh, I don't know. For me, for no, me. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Whereas Killing of a Sacred Deer was transcendent and really hovered in that sort of limbo, sort of grey area between nasty and funny, um, whereas for me, storytelling dipped into, into nasty. Nice but ev- everyone's different, and, you know, we all project our, our own nonsense onto movies. Everyone's, you know, t- three people could be sitting in the same room watching the same film and have completely different experiences based on their own history. So, for me, Killing of a Sacred Deer is a fucking masterpiece. It shifted my reality. I felt like I went into another world watching it, and um, if you haven't seen it, I think it will probably work as well on uh, home entertainment as it did at the cinema. So, um, yeah. Okay, so I've got a question for you about Killing of a Sacred Deer, and then we're going to talk about Mother for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> so I've not seen uh, Kineta, or Alps, mm-hmm. but of the three Lanthimos... Uh, is it Lanthimos? Yeah, Lanthimos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos mm-hmm. films that I've seen, Yeah. which I think are the three that everyone who's seen three has seen. Correct. Everyone who's seen only three has seen. Correct. How would you order them? Okay, so I would put Killing of a Sacred Deer at number one, I would put Dogtooth at number two, and I would put The Lobster at number three. Oh, okay, interesting. How would you rank them? I'd swap Dogtooth and uh, Killing of a Second Day. I'd put Lobster at number three. Holy shit, really? But okay, yeah, interesting. I, um, I think Dogtooth was something I'd never seen. Yeah. Like, never seen anything like. And I enjoyed Killing of a Second Day, but it's, it's not on my list. And I, I think 
Dogtooth probably would even if it came out this year. And, and, and I love 30s not on your list because we're up to, for me, number three. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? But, but the thing is, you're getting to the ones you love more. Although I do find it questionable now that you're double billing things at four and yet the second one isn't even in the other six. <laughs> Guess what? There's a, there's a triple bill at number no, one. No, I don't think you're even allowed them. They have to go into your honourable mentions. It's happening. <laughs> we make the rules. This is our Shocking. podcast. Shocking. Right, go on. Um, the Prison. Ah, oh, okay. Did you see it? No. Korean film. Yeah, lovely. It's uh, Hyun-na? Hyun-na? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, is the director. And he did Spin Kick, among other things. Uh, I think he did Mr. Socrates as well. It's a mix between a prison drama, which I love, and an intrigue film, uh, which I love, like a thriller. It isn't absolutely perfect, but it was, I think, pretty much the only one of those genre films I saw this year that was good. And it's, it's really, really enjoyable. It's got some pretty good action stuff in it. It steers away from too much melodrama, which obviously South Korean film is a little bit susceptible to, uh, which culturally doesn't go down quite so well in the West. But yeah, it's really good. I think it's, in the, like, it's probably in the top 10 highest grossing domestic films in Korea. Like, it did very well over there. It's a blockbuster. But yeah, it's well worth a, well worth a watch. It's a very satisfying film. Hmm. Yeah, sounds great. And I haven't seen it. Um, and luckily, handily, through... We didn't um, talk about Mother. Sorry, <laughs> I'm noticing the time. I'm trying to keep it going. I'm sorry. Through, through coincidence, my number three is a Korean double bill. Um, but I'm, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, obviously I'll choose, you know, the one I'm going for, but it's, <laughs> it's between The Villainess and The Handmaiden. I, in a way, I would have preferred to have connected Atomic Blonde and The Villainess for reasons I discussed earlier, but these are both Korean movies and they're both movies that I loved enough to be closer to the top. And yet one of them wasn't even in the list. So how does it almost get in at that place and then not... When two people tie a second in a competition, you don't have a third, you just have two seconds, then nothing in third, and then a fourth. Dan's angry, but... I'm not angry. We're going to go for... I feel like you're cheating. We're going to go for <laughs> The Handmaiden at number three. Um, was this on your list? I didn't like The Handmaiden. So you've got no right to be annoyed, because, you know... I quite um, liked Atomic Blonde, and I did like The Villainess. Are either of them on your list? No. Here we go. They all get a mention. It's great. Um, but I'm going to go into <laughs> to more detail about The Handmaiden, which um, I saw very early in the year, and um, I, I instantly decided was going to be uh, in my top ten. It's very long, but for me, I, I couldn't believe that the time had passed, basically. Um, I, I looked at my watch when I came out, and I was like, holy shit, how was it that long? Beautifully structured... So many shots that I want to print out and frame on my wall. Oh, it's um, definitely a gorgeous film. Gorgeous film. Wonderful performances. And, you know, I, I like that structure where, you know, it kind of repeats and reveals. Yeah. I didn't know where it was going. It was very surprising to me, which, you know, as with you and Jen, whenever I see a film that I didn't know what was coming next, it's always special to me. And, yeah, it's just an absolutely beautiful film, beautifully performed, and, you know, really interesting characters. Did it inspire you to check out Fingersmith? Um, it didn't, no, purely because um, 
I felt like that was enough of an experience yeah, for me. Um, it is a beautiful film. I feel like I would have preferred it mm-hmm. if it was a screensaver slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. That Except is... maybe without so much 69ing in case I'm using my laptop in a library. Right, I take that. <laughs> I take that all as a personal offence. <laughs> right, what's next for you? Next for me is... Probably. What am I gonna do? Can you tell? Can you tell that we know that we need to wrap this up? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, Wind River. Yeah, I loved Wind River. It's not on my list. list. It's not, but I loved it. I saw it. Can it's great. It's It's a great film. I absolutely loved it. Wind River is uh, by Taylor Sheridan, who did Hell or High Water, Mm. which uh, you alerted me to. Um, And sort of off the back of that, I went, oh yeah, no, Wind River's worth checking out. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Renner, who I really like. Uh, I think he's a really good like, Hollywood actor. Another, this is, if he doesn't get nominated for Best Supporting for this, I, I will be furious. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, such a great performance. Yeah, he plays a fish and game guy in the States. So good. Who is called in to advise in a tracking capacity after uh, a young girl goes missing on a Native American reservation. It be- quickly becomes a murder mystery uh, and then beyond that turns into something else it dips its toe into a, a, a subgenre or a genre that I am a massive fan of but I'm not going to say what it is because mm-hmm. it's a spoiler mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's got uh, so good it's got some moments in it that are unbelievably kick-ass and then the rest of it is this really beautiful tone poem mm. about like the failing of the oh, of society so and how like every layer has failed the layer below it slightly mm-hmm. 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 so you've got like the American government failing the indigenous peoples of America. You've got the local police, who you know, the the reservation police, um, like maybe not managing to protect the people there. And then within that, you've got family dynamics who blame themselves for not being able to protect the members of the family. And it's this sort of like beautiful shame and misery spiral, just dragging everyone down. Like, yeah, like emotions going through a plug hole. It's fantastic. <laughs> that is such a beautiful description of it. I, I also loved it. It was definitely, you know, a, a contender. But I'm sure you understand this, Dan. When you see so many movies at Cannes, so many fucking yeah, amazing absolutely. movies, they kind of blend into one and you almost half forget about them. Yeah, I don't no, know. Fair enough. Well, especially um, when there's something here. I, I, did, I did spend quite so a bit good. of time for this, like digging through notes and IMDb reviews, like my own IMDb reviews, yeah, yeah, yeah. to look for things I'd seen earlier in the year that maybe I've forgotten about. Because it has been a really good year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, on that note, I'm going to go for my number two, which has no competitors. It is one movie, one astonishing, beautiful movie, which I have talked about on the podcast before, um, and that is Thelma. Um, because I've not seen Thelma yet. Because we're running over, I am not going to go into too much detail about this because I have gone into quite significant detail um, about it on the podcast before, including interviewing the director, um, which was a lovely interview, um, which you can find somewhere. I don't know what episode it was with, because um, it's been a long year. But yeah, it's been a good year. It's been a great year. So, Thelma, essentially, Carrie meets the X-Men, but much more profoundly moving and powerful than that uh, suggests. Um, just as soon as it comes out um, on Blu-ray in this country, please buy it, please watch it. Um, I'm going to say nothing more because we're running out of time and I've talked about it loads. Dan, next. My next one is the other Netflix movie uh, from this year. Yes. Do you want to just have a guess? 
Um, is it? Uh, I don't feel at home in this. It is. Yeah, we, it there is. we go. I really, really. It's enjoyed great. This. Yeah, it's great. It was yeah, a yeah. really pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that this benefited from uh, is that it was because it was quite early in the year. It was at the beginning of me taking Netflix making features seriously because mm-hmm. that's quite a recent thing. Yeah, like they've not been doing. They've been doing series for a couple of years now, but mm-hmm. but movies is still relatively fresh ground for them. Uh, and I was like, all right, you know what, I'll give it a go. Um, I did it because it's direct. I watched it initially because it's directed by Mathon Blair, um, who some of you might recognise as the star of Blue Ruin. Yeah. Uh, he's also in Green Room, which definitely in my top ten of last year. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, yeah, no, same. technically 2015, wasn't it? No, it was, like, it was last year. In was the it? UK. In if the we, UK, okay. We're going by the usual rules. Which we're not. Now, which you're not. I'm not. I'm in my own rules, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Green Room, yeah. It, my top one is 100 films. <laughs> Green Room, full-blown classic. Oh, absolutely incredible. Yeah. And obviously also like a, a testament to a, a, a fantastic actor that we now no longer have with us. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah no, uh, it's fantastic. It's really good. Uh, I've had I've had long chats with some fellow filmmakers who weren't as keen on it, uh, and they felt like it was repetitive. Like what? It, it it did the same. It kind of played the same beat structure again and again. And I politely disagree with them. Yeah. But I I do think it's interesting because what I think who said that? is Andy Stark. Right. Okay. Um, producer of Free Fire. Yeah 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Ben Wheatley's producer and uh, also um. Greasy Strangler and yeah, all yeah, the yeah, rock yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Who I was working with on In Fabric, the Peter Strickland movie. Yes. And that's where we had this conversation. I I, I super respect his opinion on it. Um, and I think he's right in that it does play the same beats again and again. But I think it plays the same beats again and again in the same way classical music uses a refrain to build emotion mm-hmm. rather than being repetitive. Mm-hmm. Because it is the subtle variations within that that emphasise the futility and frustration of the characters. Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about Green Room? I'm meant to be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and we're running over. No Sorry. Less. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It's uh, it's Im- immense, much much more comic than Green Room. Uh, it's still like the offset is really satisfying. It's it's a thing. I think. Did we talk about the house on the last podcast? Or was I wanging on about that? As one of my so. recommendations. No, I don't. Know. I, I don't know. Uh, so I have a I have a soft spot for like really fucking stupid comedies. And uh, when Sam uh, lived with uh, my wife and I uh, in our spare room for seven years and has now moved out. Um, very recently, it's why very, I'm so very tired. Recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, as a as a super kind parting gift, he gave me uh, a Blu-ray of the house, which I had seen very recently and, and said how much I loved. Uh, and he initially slightly derided me, but then got me a copy of the Blu-ray, which has amazing special features on it. Um, God, that should be on my list. That's going in number... I'm not going to replace number one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's nice, nice to see Mandzukis <laughs> uh, getting some proper screen time. But it's, it's got an almost similar like division of tone to the house. Uh, I don't feel... Uh, blah, 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 world anymore. It's... Um, it's got some quite like gentle, like pathosy comedy. Uh, it's it's like a Sundance version of the house. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I get um, it. And then like it just punches you in the face with some like headshots and arm breakings and and that kind of stuff. And so like it's got a really wide scope of tonality, and I really enjoy that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's I've said this before. It's what I like about Korean cinema. Yeah, that, yeah. That when when you see that kind of jump in a film, 
if the narrative still makes sense, if it holds together, then you're like, oh, fuck, all bets are off. And, and I feel like I can really settle into a roller coaster at that point. Even if it's a really gentle, scenic roller coaster, I don't necessarily know what's going to come next. And yeah, that's, it's on Netflix. It's free. Go watch it. Yeah, yeah. Great. And we're number I've, one now. We're at number one. And was I, that my number one? Uh, that was. That must have been my number one. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't doing them in order, but I went first. Oh, so yeah. I'm done. I'll go and look at my That's list. That's amazing. We've bloody done it. I've, I take it back. It's the house. <laughs> <laughs> We've done We've it. We've done it without a single repeat. And, and I've got a triple bill at my number one, but I'm going I'm I'm to... Very... So I'll, put, I'll put in an extra two at the end to level it up. I'm so. going to be very quick about it. So um, at number one, we have either The Last Jedi, Lo- well, <laughs> which, which Dan, I can guarantee, I don't know this for a fact, but I can guarantee he hasn't seen it. Mm, he's saying that. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's going to have beautiful creature effects in it. No, I will yes. almost certainly buy it on Blu-ray, just if, I think if it has a making of. Neil Scanlon uh, did the creature effects, and I think yeah. it's, it's the most creature effects of any, uh, practical effects of any Star Wars And movie. he did it at the same time as doing the new Jurassic Park. That's insane. So the fact that the, the, same, That's insane. the same designer was running those two films at the same time time is fucking bananas that's so good um so uh not only does dan by the way the reason i know this is not only does dan hate christmas he also hates star wars i wouldn't say i hate no no i do yeah he really does <laughs> like more than more than I, most things but, but it's a reactive hate like it's like in a world where no one else gave a fuck about star wars i'd be like eh, star wars whatever fine but it's the it's a it's an unfair response because I've been in so many situations where people have just fucking talked to me about it because of the special effects. And I'll I'll give it its fucking dues. Sorry, I'll get very sweary about this. I'll give it its dues. It absolutely changed the surface of special effects. Like it's an amazing film from that standpoint. I just I'd rather watch Hidden Fortress. I don't care about the film. So, um on that note, <laughs> it's <Sorry>. between <laughs> The Last Jedi. Goodbye, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Logan and Blade of the Immortal. That's the, the triple bill at number one. And uh, by all means, watch all three in a row. Because, as so often happens in a weird zeitgeisty, what's going on in the, the, the cultural sphere way, they're all essentially the same film to a certain extent. They're oh, all... no, don't tell me that. I'm really th- I haven't seen Blade of the Immortal yet. Partly because I was in the States when Arrow did their preview screening that I was meant to go to, uh, and partly because since then I've been finishing up the comics <laughs> before I go and watch it. No, Although I... I was going to see it this afternoon if I got off film my set early enough before I, I did that, but I didn't. Now, I saw Blade of the Immortal at Cannes with uh, Pat Kelman, who's a mutual friend. Uh, lovely and Pat. Lovely I think Pat. we've called him Lovely Pat on the podcast before. We have, and we were both completely blown away by it. We came out of it on such a high um but just very quickly the connection is um they're all about um grizzled old loners who have taken themselves off to the middle of nowhere to be alone um who are uh pulled out of that uh lonely state by a young woman who 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 approaches them for help uh in a dire situation um and and they have to basically face impossible odds in order to potentially save the day. So they're very similar on that note. Of the three, I'm going to go for The Last Jedi, purely because I did say it's the best film ever made on Twitter and Facebook, and I feel like... <laughs> You've locked yourself in. I feel like if it's not number one of my list of the year, then I'm in trouble. Um, I've also written a lot of features about it for Yahoo Movies, UK, 
Um, but that's because I love it so much. I've seen it a couple of times now. And um, the first time was at IMAX and is essentially one of the best experiences I've ever had in a cinema. Um, I can't believe the people uh, that hate it. Um, I've written a piece about that, um, responding to all the fan criticisms, because, you know, this is why, basically, we get shoveled a lot of blockbuster shit. Because every time uh, uh, an auteur, a writer-director like yeah. Ryan Johnson... No, you may laugh, but... No, I'm just... Like, I'm laughing at the, the concept of an auteur. It's fine, whatever. But every time a writer-director with a vision who is supported by the studio and they take a risk and they let him do things that are unusual and out of the ordinary and, and push the boundaries of what whatever franchise it is um, contains... When so many of the fans then say, this is terrible, this is awful, what we wanted was this, what we wanted was that, and it's all the stuff that we've all seen a million times before, that's what restricts cinema, and I will always support directors and directors' vision. You know, not supporting directors' vision is why Justice League is so fucking shit, and The Last Jedi is not Justice League, it's fucking beautiful. There are so many shots that stayed with me after I saw this movie that are burned into my brain. You know, and and the script, super original. You know, it plays with those tropes. There's elements of Empire Strikes Back. There's elements of Return of the Jedi. But it takes it to new places and it does things that I didn't expect. And um, I was surprised constantly throughout the film and that never happens. So... In terms of blockbuster entertainment, The Last Fucking Jedi, <laughs> my number one can I make two of points? a lot of great movies. Having not seen the film, can I make two points? Go on. Firstly, not believing in director's vision may be why, whatever you said, but it is also why Donnie Darko is so good. There's nothing to say that the director is actually categorically right. Yeah, but that's kind of different. So with Donnie Darko, and, and I take your point, there's some times where uh, a director 100% needs an editor who, you know, has more experience. So well, Richard, well, wait, Richard yep. Kelly, um, it was his first movie. The mm-hmm. editor had much more experience and he crafted a better movie. When we saw the director's cut, it's not as good. However, there are other situations, yeah, very, diff- wait, very different to Donnie Darko, such as Justice League, where it's the money people you know, allegedly, whatever, um, it's the money people who are leaning in and saying, oh, no, people want this, they want that, they want this. And they create a Frankenstein's monster of a movie which tries to appeal to everyone and in doing so appeals to no one. Whereas The Last Jedi, you can very much see that this is Ryan Johnson's film, it's his pure vision and... It succeeds for me and a lot of people. I mean, obviously the fans are more vocal, you know, apart from the people who have launched a petition asking Disney to remake The Last Jedi before episode nine comes out. <laughs> That's and, amazing. And I didn't know about that. To strike it from the that canon. That's incredible. Yeah, it is what? It's like 98% critics fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and 57%. It's around that, yeah, yeah. correct. Exactly. And, and, and this is Probably. it. This, this is the thing. I think, and this is a, a generalisation, so, you know, forgive me for that, but I feel like, basically, critics want to see something new and different that surprises them. A lot of 
especially for franchises, audience members want comfort, they want nostalgia, they want to know where everything's going. Whereas Last Jedi doesn't really give you that comfort, and that's what I respect about it. And anyway, I've waffled about this long enough. I have my other point. Let's do Twitters. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait. One All more. right, let's... One more. Yeah. My, my other point is, the, the other film, one of the other films that was in your, con- as a contender for Top Spot was yeah. Logan, right? Yes. Now, Logan's a great film. I really enjoyed Logan. Uh, yeah, right. amazing. But, but do you not think that Logan is also a director doing something slightly different, slightly new, slightly away from the norm of the of the franchise? Yeah. But in that instance, you said this is why we get shoveled the blockbuster pap because every time someone does something new and different, it gets re- yeah people go oh it's not right I don't like it it's away from canon. But with Logan, I don't think I've met anyone who didn't like Logan. Logan was great. No. I mean, like some people maybe were like, "Oh, I heard it was the best thing ever," and and I was a bit disappointed. But like you know, later in the day, but it was universally loved. I get that, and and it's kind of it does tie into my main point because, you know, James Mangold was restricted on the Wolverine, and for whatever reason, Twentieth Century Fox decided to roll the dice on Logan and let him do what he wants. Um, and I think in in that instance, you know what? Sorry, keep, keep, keep going. Sorry, I'll, I'll say it in a minute. In in that instance, I feel like the expectations were so low going into Logan, and there were there. It's a very very different circumstance. Basically, everyone knew it was going to be Hugh Jackman's last Wolverine movie, and the one before that was so meh. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just ugh. You know, the third act is terrible. There's there's some nice stuff in the Wolverine, but it's, it's mainly bad. Whereas with Star Wars, a lot of people love The Force Awakens. Um, a lot of people were excited, you know, who's Snoke? Who's Ray's parents? You know, they cared about that stuff. Um, so it's two completely different circumstances. So it's slightly straw man. Actually, interestingly, I've realised, hearing you say it, it clicked, and I know exactly why 20th Century Fox made that decision. Mm. Well, they fucking sold, like, Murdoch sold Fox to Disney, who owned Marvel. So he's like, all right, like, you know, not him, but whoever, is like, all right, it's our last one, let's kick over the fucking apple cart. Uh, Marvel, before they were owned by Disney, were, like, absolute dick-moving... Fox all the way, cancelling the Fantastic Four comic book series, reworking X-Men so that everyone's a different race and there's no connection between the comics and the movies. Like, real dick move stuff because Fox hadn't acquiesced to a, 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 like a financial deal to collab on the, on the mutant no, series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this was a, a fantastic option because it's a win-win. Either they do something totally out of form and it's super successful, which is what ended up happening, or they do something totally out of the ordinary and then you just get to hand the burning shit pile off to someone else because they're already in the work selling. It's why we've not seen the the plan for the Marvel stuff yeah, as far in advance exactly. ranges because this has obviously been in the work for, in the works for a long time. Exactly. And 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 this is it. Like when they said they've got like the next 20 films planned before the the Fox thing was announced. Of course X-Men's part of that. But anyway, we're running over um but yeah, just just to to wrap up that point I feel like, like you say, that was the end of one franchise. This is a franchise that's ongoing. So that people like Kathy Kennedy, who are saying to people like Ryan Johnson, go ahead, you write your script, you make your film. In that context, that is amazing. 
And the more people push back on it and say, oh, this is fucking terrible. This isn't Star Wars. I wanted this. I wanted that. You're just going to be stuck yeah, in the I mean, same the loop. Diehard fans are obviously the worst because they're unable to be like objective about, uh, about the quality of a product. Um, but obviously, Johnson must have known he was working for the same company who, on at least two other films in this reboot franchise structure, have gone, yeah, you're fired, mate. This guy's coming in. You know, Ron Howard's going to come in and direct the shit out of whatever it is you you were doing. Like, you know, that's a that's a thing. So, like, he had to know that he was skating, like, he was working within parameters at least, because they, you know, they've got the franchise worked out. They're like, you write the script, but it has to hit these points. It has to be this, this, and this. It's like doing a a Ken Loach scene. It, Ken comes in and goes, "All right, at the end of this scene, you're sad about such and such." Uh, and then you also have to find out A, B, and C. But above, beyond, above and beyond that, just fucking go to town. Have a bit of fun. But yeah, no, no, you're very right. And actually, you know, um, off the back of um, the Han Solo situation and also Rogue One, which, you know, um, was a little bit, from my perspective, dodgy as well. I want to move into directing. And I said to myself, Sam... Even if they offer you Star Wars, don't take <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. Don't take it because they're going to fuck you over. Don't do it. Then I saw The Last Jedi and um, it gave me hope again that... And you immediately regretted sending that email to Disney. <laughs> I mean, I probably shouldn't have put so many swear words. I mean, the C word is a subject line. <laughs> it's not the best. Anyway. If you ever let me through the door, the things I'm going to do to Walt's frozen head will make your head spin. And on that <laughs> note, we are going to wrap this up because we were supposed to do a half an hour episode. There's no way 40 films which turned out to be, like, 60 films, was ever going to be half an hour long. It it, it was 20 films that turned into, I'd say, 28. But And and we didn't go into depth on at (laughs) least eight of of those. But But anyway, yes, Twitter. Happy Christmas. This is our gift to you. Yeah, it's a special, special edition. Um, We're not going to do extra features because, of course, we're not. Look at the time. But we are going to do our Twitters. Dan, what's yours? Uh, I am at 13fingerfx. That's one three the numbers f i n g e r f for foxtrot x for x-ray uh follow me where i will be responding to set things sam posts with gifts uh, and occasionally posting pictures of my dog uh, and then like liking things about films i worked on a couple of years ago when they finally come out I mean, that is... If, if you're not going to follow him off the base of that... <laughs> um, I am at Sam Ashurst, which is my name. S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. Um, follow me for, I don't know, all sorts of nonsense. And, you know, I am going to be making a film in the new year, so uh, I will be putting updates about that, potentially. Um, that is the end of this. I'm going into the workshop to make things for your film tomorrow. Oh, it's I'm very excited. I'm very. You'll be getting excited. photographs throughout the day. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, thank you so much for listening. We have run so over. This is feature length. As I'm looking <laughs> at the timeline, thank you so much thank for listening. Thank you for listening. Happy 2017. And we promise we'll be more professional. In 2018. We'll see you in 2018. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.